This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. for Holy Communion, and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. And David came to Saul and entered his service. This line in the last part of our Old Testament reading this day seems odd. Why? If you recall a couple weeks ago when we read the first part of this chapter, David had just been anointed king to replace King Saul. In the meantime, instead of hiding out to make sure he was safe from Saul, here we read immediately that he is placed in a very close relationship to this king. In God's providence, David would not spend the time shepherding sheep off to the side, if you will, while waiting for Saul to die. No, God, if you will, thrust him into the forefront to grow and to develop in preparation to become king of Israel at the proper time. God's design for leadership, as we see in Holy Scripture, is not tyrannical. Rather, his design for leadership, as we see in Scripture, is servant-based. Saul was removed for repeated disobedience, not willing to repent, and David was brought up to learn first how to serve, even to serve the one that would become his enemy. This morning, let us meditate upon the start of this servant model leadership training that David underwent. Verses 14 through 18 speak of the aftermath of the anointing for David. In verse 14 we read, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Prior to this, we read that after David's anointing, the spirit rushed upon him from that day forward. The mantle, so to speak, of the proper king of Israel moved from the formerly anointed king to the newly anointed king in David. Remember, from the last time we looked at this book, anointing in scripture does not mean one automatically assumed the role for which they were anointed. It took a period of time. In David's case, it would be years and years before such became the reality. Yet the spirit rushed upon David and left Saul. In the place of the spirit leaving Saul, as we read, a harmful spirit from God tormented him. Due to his repeated sins and unwillingness to turn and repent and turn to the right path of the Lord, Saul, so to speak, was given over to his sins to suffer more due to his stubborn rebellion against God's clear commandments. In Israel's history, such tormenting spirits often were used to enact consequences upon the people 
for their unrepentant lifestyles. Sometimes such as for a season, as we see with the torment, if you will, of the Babylonians conquering Judah and placing her in exile for 70 years. This judgment of torment for Saul was for the rest of his life. As time goes forth, as we'll see in this book, Saul moved further and further into bitterness, rashness, and wrath. These are all symptoms of one that is tormented without relief due to their unrepentant sin. Now it's important to reflect on this serious occurrence that we read of today of the spirit of the Lord being removed from Saul and a harmful spirit sent to torment him. In our propensity to sin, the way we look at the things in this world around us, we may think that this sounds a bit unfair or even unloving. But we have to look at this through the lens of the love of God for his people, for the entire nation as a whole. When Saul, with the Spirit of the Lord, lived in unrepentant rebellion to God's direct commandments, it showed his lack of love for God, his lack of love for the people he was supposed to serve in return. And it showed a lack of gratitude for the presence of the Spirit. He took God for granted in favor of doing things the way he wanted to do them. As the head of the nation, the king, the anointed king, he had an obligation to lead by example through a full trust in God. Saul was indwelt by the spirit of the Lord and still chose the way of rebellion against God, of doing things his way over God's way. When his actions as a covenant leader of the people were disobedient and he was unwilling to turn, the spiritual and the physical well-being of the entire nation was in jeopardy. By saying no to God, Saul sought to lead the people down a dangerous path. God took the mantle of authority from King Saul and anointed David to replace him. And such the spirit of the Lord came upon David and left King Saul. If you think about it, this was an act of love for the entire nation, a protection, letting the people know that Saul was no longer in favor with God and they, they were to follow God over man when the man sought to live and lead through disobedience. Now, some in our day might still argue here that Saul obeyed in most of what God commanded. So what's the problem? Couldn't God give him a pass? After all, he was going to go to battle against the Philistines still, and therefore offered the sacrifice even though he was explicitly told not to, and to wait for Samuel. He still intended to obey the commandment to clear the land of the enemies, he just went about it in his own particular way. Some today like to ignore parts of scripture in favor of the lure of human-centered institutions need to take heed of the lesson of Saul here. Even with the mantle of the Spirit of God, he went astray in twisting what he was told to do just enough to make it look like he obeyed. 
In the end, even the slightest detour from God's commandments means we, in fact, have broken the entire law and are just and are therefore just as guilty as the fellow that gleefully breaks all the commandments. In the end, it was a mercy for the entire nation for Saul to have the spirit of the Lord removed. It was God's protection as an individual, his actions, his leadership threatened everybody. God in his love removed him through removing the spirit of the Lord from him. God's action was an act of love so that Saul did not infect the entire nation with his selective obedience. Some might agree with this, yet still show disdain for the Lord in sending a harmful spirit to torment Saul. Was it not enough of a discipline to lose the kingdom for his firstborn son and to lose the presence of the Holy Spirit, if you will? Think about it this way. If Saul, with the spirit of the Lord, disobeyed openly, questioning God's authority through giving constant excuses, what would Saul without the spirit in a sort of neutral state be capable of doing? With neutrality and no clear sign from God of his disfavor of Saul, the nation of Israel might have questioned what was going on. They might have questioned the status of Saul as no longer in favor with God. I think if we look at the sending of this tormenting spirit as a sort of check upon Saul from completely leading the people into rebellion against God, it shows again God's love for the entire nation to protect them as a whole from a wayward leader. This action of God was a check upon Saul and a clear sign to the people that God was no longer with Saul. Yes, they could still obey him through the actions he took in reference to the obedience of clearing the land of their enemies. We can surely see this in the coming chapters through God working through David to fight for Saul and his army against the enemies of God. The check, though, upon Saul now was that he no longer was free as he had been free with the spirit of the Lord. He now was in complete bondage to his own sins and was at torment at times for it. A consistent reminder from God that God was in control of his people, not Saul. Yet even in the midst of this removal of the spirit and the introduction at times of a tormenting spirit, God as we read this morning, still provided opportunities for Saul to have mercy, for Saul to be relieved. As we read in verse 16, one of his servants said, Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. Saul responded to this advice by commanding that such a person be brought to him. In verse 18, we read, One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Here we have a wonderful description of David, this man of God that was chosen to replace Saul. 
Not only did he qualify in the one area suggested by Saul's men that he needed to get through the tormenting times, he also had many more qualities needed by Saul and that would be developed and fostered by God to prepare David to be king. Most importantly of all these traits that we read about, the Lord was with him. Yes, he could play the lyre skillfully. More importantly than playing was the presence of the Lord. For Saul, having lost the Spirit of God, he needed a man in favor with the Lord. Saul desperately needed help, relief. Again, showing his lack of willingness to repent, he sought help from channels outside of God. Yet God used this for the ultimate good through providing David, through providing David a time to be trained to become king by serving King Saul. This last section of our reading speaks of the seeking of David and the result of his coming into the camp of Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Not only did Saul need David for the quality of his music and his presence and all the other attributes. It brought these two men together in a relationship that we would not think to see in scripture. A relationship that we in our culture would think is not appropriate in terms of an enemy, enemies serving one another. David serving his future enemy. By caring for the king's armor, David not only cared for the king's soul through his presence and through his music, he also cared for the king physically, through physical protection. The anointed learned to be king through serving the needs of the king that he would replace. There's something to learn here and apply to our lives of faith in this loving service of David to Saul. David waited. David waited on God even to the point of serving this king. He did not see Saul as an obstacle to becoming his best self through making things go faster in terms of becoming king. No, he waited. And he was content in the state of life that God placed him in while he was waiting. In our sinfulness and in our culture, such grace and a willingness to serve someone we are at odds with from the very beginning is lacking. We are trained that it is not good to be around someone that we deem as an obstacle to our success. Our culture today would have been pretty upset, even demeaning of David for serving the needs of a king, so to speak, from the opposite party. The one you knew you would someday replace we just wouldn't go for it today. We wouldn't go for our future leader serving the needs of a corrupt leader in the office today. Our culture trains us to get rid of the competition, if you will, by beating them or going around them. Our culture never speaks the opposite as someone as we see with King David to love, to pray for, to work with, and yes, to serve. 
Saul rebelled against God and refused to turn back to God. He would be a rather easy person in our own day to unfriend from our friends list, to shun, to gossip about, to slander, and so forth. He would be the poster child of what we are usually inclined to do against our leaders that we could point to as corrupt, tyrannical, and unfit to lead. Yet the call of servant leadership The call upon us as Christians is to submit to the love of God by his grace to do counter to what our sinful culture tells us to do. To love and yes, even serve our enemies. To love and serve even those that seek our hurt through vengeance as we'll read later in 1 Samuel. How do we as Christians learn from the first step after the anointing of David? Our inclination would be just to go back to shepherding my father's flocks until the news outlets brought the news of Saul's death in battle and then come from the fields and come out of hiding to take the throne. Yet the call upon all of us is to serve each other in God's love, to honor and submit to our civil authority. Yes, the call is even to love and pray for our enemies not to despise them as pagans despise each other and are constantly seeking ways to retaliate. The last part of our lesson states the following in verse 23. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. See, God used David as a means of grace, as a means of mercy to Saul, bringing him, as we read, refreshment, wellness. From all we know of David, his service to King Saul was loving, caring. We have the same sort of call for one another as the body of Christ, no matter the status of the person in our estimation. How often are we tempted and even justified to think it's okay to treat Saul's with sinful anger, with insults, and name-calling in violation of the commandments of Jesus Christ? We have a greater call through the shepherd of our souls, our ultimate king, Jesus Christ. He provided the perfect example throughout his life of service, even exceeding David. We ask for his help to love. We ask for his help even to serve the souls in our lives, waiting on God and his timing. Our call is as the call of every generation of Christians to go against the grain and the norms of our culture and how we treat others, even those of the disagreeable sort such as a soul, to love them, to pray for them, and even to serve them. As Jesus commands all of us in Matthew 5:44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We do such through asking for the help and grace to be able to do so in the power of Jesus Christ. We do so in Christ's love alone, going before us to rest in his arms as we love those he commands us to love. We must resist the pharisaical pride that instills fear into us to disobey the commandments of Jesus Christ. 
even to love our enemies. Let us close with these wise words of Bishop Jeremy Taylor about obedience. Obedience is a complicated act of virtue, and many graces are exercised in one act of obedience. It is an act of humility, of mortification, and self-denial, of charity to God, of care of the public, of order and charity to ourselves and all our society, and a great instance of victory over the most refractory and unruly passions. Amen.